Welcome to Love Essie, the podcast. Hi, everyone. It's me, Esther, aka Essie, uh, and I'm back. <laughs> Welcome back to Love Essie, the podcast. Um, it it just it just been a few weeks. Um, you know, life got a little crazy. Things were happening. January was doing mucho things. So, anyway, um, yeah, stuff happened. You know, nothing crazy, just life. But anyways, I also, on top of, like, life, lifing, you know, just, just out here doing its thing. Um, you know, what with snow cold cold weather never seeing the sun all that jazz um along with all of that happening I felt like in a reading slump now okay some of you are gonna be like you didn't read anything no that's not true I read things none of them appealed to me um sometimes I'll read random romance you know I will read what I consider what would be a good term I'll still read romance, right? Because that's literally, it's my genre of choice. But nothing that I picked up was like really like, either if it was longer, it wasn't grabbing my attention and I just sort of like, you know, stopped midway or (laughs) not even a third of the way in. Or if it was something short, I just got to the end. I was like, (laughs) what was that? What was that? That was, you know. Yeah, I got happily ever after. Yeah, there were two people who fell in love. Mm, didn't feel nothing. Didn't didn't imagine it. Didn't believe it. Um, so there was a lot of that happening. Just me picking up stuff. Um, I was all like, "Ooh, maybe I'll go through like my Kindle and read some of the stuff I haven't read." And then I read some of it and was like, "Why did I ever, ever download this?" or purchase this, or click on this on Kindle Unlimited, because I do have a really, I don't know if it's a bad habit, but I, one of the things that happens to me a lot is other people on Instagram, on Twitter, will be talking really excitedly about a book, or there'll be like a passage they highlight, and I get really excited, and I go, and if it's on Kindle Unlimited, I get it, or if it's like free, free, free 99, I purchase it, or I find it from my library, or worse, I put it on hold. But sometimes what ends up happening is by the time I get around to it, I, I don't, I, I no longer have, you know, that like, wow, cool feeling because it's been time and whatever. And I don't remember why I originally got the book. Right. And so then I'm kind of like, <laughs> so then at the moment in time when I go to read it, my brain is like, but what is this and why did we do this sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised but sometimes I'm like "Mm, yeah maybe at the time when I had you know gotten this it would have been like yeah but unfortunately time has passed um and now it's "Mm." um so yeah so all of that was going on right um so I was like well what am I gonna talk about on the podcast I don't want to talk about any of these books and I legit was still like, I don't know what what I'm gonna do. This is crazy. I was like, I was like, am I gonna have to go and reread an Alini thing I've already talked about just to get back into the mood of things? But I was like, but do I really want to do that? 
And then I was on Instagram, as I, I spend way too much time on Instagram and Twitter. I should probably, you know, do something about that. But anyway, I was on Instagram, and I was on um, at reads underscore romance, Teresa's page. Uh, no, I was on her stories, uh, because also when I'm on Instagram, I'm very much a stories person, because those are in chronological order, whereas, like, the feed, right, is all over the place and sometimes I'm like this event sounds cool that I look at almost like oh, it was three days ago because of course mm, okay um so I'm very much a stories person so I'm, I'm going through her stories and she had mentioned that she was reading via audiobook a Maisie Yates book uh it was Rancher's Christmas Storm by Maisie Yates now back in was it 2020? Yes. So for Bookstore Romance Day back in 2020, right, the Indie Bookstore Romance Campaign Day, which was, I think, was in August, right? Of course, you know, COVID was, I mean, COVID is still here, but, you know, there was no vaccine yet. Um, We were all very, very, very much terrified to breathe the air around others. So pretty much everything around bookstore romance day it was virtual and I was all like you know what I'm gonna purchase books from a bunch of different independent bookstores not just like my local ones because my local ones I can always like catch a train ride and get to um I like even purchased a book from a bookstore in Alaska and they fully I think called me and were like girl um you know we're in Alaska right and you are not and I was like I know I just I wanted to purchase a book a romance book from y'all because y'all are participating and they were like oh that's cute and I'm sure they were thinking I mean we're but I want to insult those customers but god damn anyway so back then I purchased a Maisie Yates probably because I'd already seen uh at Reed's romance at Reed's underscore romance sorry speak about this author so I was like okay so this physical print book shows up and here's the thing I have a shit ton of physical print books not a shit ton but substantial right I also have been reading on my cell phone, not even the Kindle people. I've been reading on a literally since I got the iPhone 4. I've been reading on a cell phone since college because uh, I just, I was able to read everywhere. And the idea of getting like another device to when I could just read on my phone seemed weird. So I'm very much a ebook person holding it in one hand, all that jazz. But somehow I still managed to read that Maisie Yates. And I do remember distinctly thinking, hmm, I don't know about um, this specific writing style, but I got through the book and I enjoyed it and whatever. So I was like, oh, okay. I've read this author before. I've read some of her Harlequin Desires. Some have been okay. Um, I do remember there was one where like on the cover, it was like this white dude, this black woman, and she looked like kind of darker skin. Like, like she wasn't, um, she would not have passed the paperback test. And so I was like, oh, and then I read it and I was kind of like, hmm, here's the thing, though. If I was not seeing this cover, I don't know that I would have immediately known she was not a Caucasian. So anyway, I was like, I see the cover of Rancher's Christmas Storm. The guy looks like he may, you know, may have some melanin. And I'm like, Teresa's reading it. I've read this author before. She is in a complete wash. Let's give it a shot. And you're going, oh, so that's what this episode is about. 
actually, actually, no, but I needed to set up the context because I, I needed you to understand how I got to where I got. You might be going, we didn't need that. Too bad. I believe that you needed to know. And so therefore you will know. So I read Rancher's Christmas Storm, right? I start reading it. A part of me was like, haven't I read this before? And I was like, no, I haven't. But certain things about both the hero and heroine and that I was like I'm pretty sure this is how she's described other characters within this like series Mm okay um there was you know cute like trapped in a cabin in a snowstorm moment that was adorable but there was a lot happening I didn't really care I was like "Uh uh-huh 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 I will say my probably one like yay about the book was you know, you've got that, you know, the deep, dark moment where he's like, I can't love you. And she's like, well, bitch, I love you. You can't, you know, like, the fuck? Asshole. Um, and then what he realizes, it doesn't take him, like, forever. He realizes pretty quickly that he's being a dumbass. And and I'm sure there are people who are going to disagree with me. She doesn't make him, like, do a, bit, a bunch of crazy groveling. She's kind of like, I'm glad you understood. And, like, let's go forward together kind of thing. And their reasoning for it to me made sense of why she was like I need you to grovel seven million times um because it wasn't also like he was like I can't be with you and then went off and did heinous shit um aka you know pretend to be with other women and then come back to be like actually um I couldn't stick my dick in someone else and that's when I realized I loved you like I didn't do any of that and it literally I think I don't even think I think maybe a few I don't even think a week goes by before he's like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, please forgive me. So I personally was okay that there it wasn't this long, drawn-out grovel crap where she's all like, ah, I don't believe you. And he's like, please, ba-. like, none of that shit. Anyway, I say all of this, all of this to say, if you've ever read any Harlequin books, whether it's Harlequin Desire, Harlequin Presents, Harlequin Special Edition, it don't matter if it is a Harlequin book. What do they always do at the end? They include excerpts of other books. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, it almost never is an excerpt of another book by the same author. It's almost always an excerpt of another book by a completely different author. So I get to the excerpt part, and it is Christmas in Rosebend by Naima Simone. I started reading the excerpt, I think it was the first chapter, and I was like, oh, I think I got to the end of chapter one, I was like, well, I need to know what happened, what the hell, what, 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 the writing immediately, like, sucked me in, so I go, you know, I'm already in Libby, because I was, I don't think I mentioned this, but I had borrowed uh, Rancher's Christmas Storm from the library, so I'm in the Libby app already, I go, I search for it, I have all three New York City library um, accounts, or I have three, how do I explain this? In New York City, there are three distinct library systems. There is New York Public Library, which is for Bronx, Staten Island, and Manhattan. There's Brooklyn Public Library, which is for all of Brooklyn, and there's Queens Public Library for all of Queens. Um, I've lived in all, all of those areas, except for Staten Island, so I have accounts for all three on Libby. Anyway... I think it was New York Public Library that had it because every the other two had it, you know, wait on hold. So I borrow Christmas in Rose Bend by Naima Simone. And let me tell you, 
I didn't know what to expect because, okay, my previous Naima Simone's Sid and Ink, which was off the chain good, and then I think it was Broody Brit, where I was like, what in the good goddamn happened here? And I, I think I even distinctly remember thinking, is this even the same author? Because, like, Sin and Ink, so good. Broody Brit, mm, uh, questions. <laughs> not, not, mm, no, no, don't like, no, why? Um, so, I wasn't immediately thinking it's going to be garbage, but I was like, ooh, what if it isn't that great, but that first chapter, I'm here to tell you guys, the entire book is phenomenal. And this book, at least the ebook that I borrowed, um, also includes a novella set in the same town, right? So I got to hang out in Bros Bend for two stories, um, which I personally really enjoyed because, again, with Harlequin books, um, you'll sometimes get, uh, which, what are those called? I think it's, um, hold on, I'm looking at, like, Harlequin's best-selling author collection, for example, those almost always have, like, the best-selling author, and then there's, like, a smaller, shorter story from another author, um, or just in general, like, they'll, again, they, like, sometimes like to double up books, like, uh, there have been Naima Simone's, smaller, I guess, novellas within a, a larger Maisie Yates book. So, like, the first big chunk is Maisie Yates and then Naima Simone and vice versa. Like, they do a lot of that. And again, I think it's to get the reader to want to purchase from all these different authors. I have no problem with that. Anyway, but what I was surprised by was the fact that both the main story and the, you know, supplemental or additional or second whatever story was also the same author. Personally, I love that. And I almost wish that that was the case all the time because I do think that when it is the same author, I guess the drawback there for me, publishing money-making standpoint, is that if you've released the novella separately, which once I was in Libya, I found out they had, if I've already purchased this other copy, I'm not going to then purchase the novella separately because it's already together. Whereas if I get the novella of one author in the you know, bundled with the big book of a different author, then I will go look, you know what I mean? I, like, whatever. But anyway, I say all of this to say Christmas in Rosebed by Naima Simone was absolutely wonderful. Now, I, I mean, we are in February, right? Uh, it is, Christmas has passed. There may be Christmas decorations up, and honestly, I don't see a problem with that because <laughs> it's a lot of work to put that stuff up, so if you don't want to take it down, why should you? But we are in February, and I am not, generally speaking, someone who searches out Christmas, Christmas-themed or Christmas-specific romance novels. Um, I think before this one, there was the one that I read for uh, the Boobies and Newbies podcast, and... I think I might have attempted a few other, but it isn't like the Christmas season comes and I'm like racing, like to be a hundred percent honest guys, I tend to see Christmas themed romances and kind of go, mm, okay, right, right, Santa Claus, mm, right, mistletoe, sure, deer, right, gifts, we get it, snow, fucking parades, yeah, 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 Yule Fest, all this, 
And then, you know, you're going, oh, wow, bah humbug, Grinch. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Um, so the fact that I, someone who is not, you know, you know, enamored with Christmas romance and isn't like gushing about it all the time and going, Christmas in July, which, ugh. Um, the fact that I really enjoyed this book should tell you like how good this was. And some of you might be like, Esther, I read it and I didn't love it. And that's okay because not every book is for everyone, right? Because that would be insane. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. It just, I didn't know what to expect, but that first excerpt hooked me and I stayed hooked the entire way through all the way to the end um and I almost was like should I read the novella or will it like taint my experience with the main book but then I read the novella and the novella was like the novella was like (sighs) the salted caramel drizzle on top of like a perfect dessert it was just amazing um so because this book just came out in October I don't want to like hella spoil it until I I'll spoil it a little bit later in the episode but right now I kind of just want to talk about I guess overarching themes my friends um so something that I thought was really well done maybe it's not overarching themes Things I liked, things I enjoyed that aren't, you know, going to ruin it for you. This book had, I, this book touched on race in a way that I was like, why can't everybody, people take notes, why can't everybody do it like this? Um, the conversations felt nuanced. They did not feel, um, what's the word? They didn't feel trite. They didn't feel preachy or moralistic, moralizing, whatever. Um, They just felt like conversations that, you know, people will have in real life when there is respect and sense. And I was like, oh, okay. Um... That really, and I think a part of why it also maybe was really, not necessarily obvious, but it really sort of, I like noticed and I was like, oh, is because in the previous, in the book that I had just finished reading, right, Maisie Yates's whatever ranching storm nonsense, um, I've already said the title, it's in the show notes, you'll be fine. Um, there's this, you know, the, based on the cover and certain, certain sentences, the hero in that book is a man of color, and yes, I was kind of like, okay, this feels, (sighs) the way in which both that character and the people around him spoke, I wouldn't know that he was a melanated man specifically 
right? And their the lack of conversation around the topic of of race was I mean it's a choice. The choice. I get to Naive Simone's book and she's kinda like, Nope. It's here, it's present, it will be acknowledged, but not in a way that makes you go, girl, really? You had to go there. And I'm sure someone's going to be like, but why do you even have to mention race at all? Because those of us who aren't the default have to deal with it on a daily basis. Thanks. Um, so I really appreciated that. I also, for those of you who really enjoy found family, right? Um, and in case you're like, what is found family? And why would you assume I knew? You're right. I shouldn't assume. Um, in romance, I'm only speaking about romance again. Je ne sais in other genres, but in this one, found family is when characters create family bonds with other characters that they aren't blood kin to, right? Um, and that can be adoption or just friends that are like siblings, right? Um, relationships that are, you know, platonic and or romantic and are so 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 very close and so very important and they usually stand out even more if any of the characters are literally missing family as in you literally don't have you know parents or siblings or etc right not necessarily the case you can have you know your entire family and extended family alive and well and obviously also have a found family a family that you've created through you know ties that are not quote-unquote blood like if we did a DNA test we would not be related but we are family I don't know why I just sang that that was weird but anyway you get my point so this book has a lot of that which I really appreciate I like seeing that right um I think that especially as someone who like left the the city she grew up in and technically you know a lot of people forget but I moved to another country right Canada the United States border each other but they are not the same nation they're separate nations um when you move away from your hometown from your home state from your home country um in many ways you have to create a found family of your own because uh, unless you move with your entire, you know, immediate and extended family, they won't be there. <laughs> and yes, we've got fancy technology. Hello, FaceTime. Hello, you know, uh, ooh, what was the Google one called? I'm blanky, but you know what I mean. Oh, Google Duo calls, all that jazz. Uh, hello, WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger uh, and plays, but it's still not the same, right? You can't just like go to your grandma's house your grandma is in a whole other country and it's a four-hour plane right away but you can maybe create a relationship with an older woman or older couple who in some ways can not replace but fill the role that your grandparent would play right that your aunt and uncles would play your cousins etc 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 in this new place you call home um i think that Anyone who has moved far away from family kind of gets it. If you, you know, if you're living in a town that you were born, grew up in, all that jazz, and all your family is around you, 
you might not specifically go out and find quote unquote or create a found family but you may be friends with people who see you as a member of their found family if if that makes sense um so I thought this book did that beautifully um and we got to see it not just with I feel like we got to see it in different aspects through both of our main characters. Um, Oh, I haven't mentioned their names. So our two main characters are Nessa Hunt. She is an ER nurse from Boston, uh, a black woman. And then we've got Wolf Dennison, who's a carpenter slash furniture maker. Um, He's from Rosebend. He's a white man. Um, And both the parallels and differences between them, I thought, I really appreciated. I really liked. Um, I really liked seeing similar issues that they were both facing. They weren't exactly the same, of course, but it, you know there was like you could kind of see where there might not necessarily be overlap, but just they weren't like I've got this one issue that has not like it's so far apart and different from this other issue. No. Um, and just the way in which they communicated. Uh, the other big, the other really, really big thing that I really, really enjoyed. Naima Simone really, really focused on, or to me, again, you might read this and be like, Jenna, <laughs> I did not see it. Uh, but to me, I felt like she really focused on constant consent. And I say constant because this wasn't just about consent within the sort of parameters of just sexual intimacy. It was consent within the parameters of all intimacy. And I was like, yo, this is so well done. Because I think that a lot of people are... Now very clear, right? Consent for sexual intimacy is so important. But there are there are so many levels to intimacy that have nothing to do with, you know, to do with anything sexual. And I think that sometimes the idea of consent in those areas is still a difficult concept for people. And you might be going, well, what do you mean? Hugging. Not everyone is going to be okay with hugging whether they are a child, an adult, an elderly person. And yet, the idea of making sure, of asking permission to hug for some people is like, well, that's weird. Why? Why would it be weird? Why, if you would ask for consent in a sexual situation, why wouldn't you ask in a non-sexual situation? And I think that, I think that sometimes people are like, oh, well, you'll get it through body, you know, body language. But that also has to mean that, you know, the person who is uncomfortable is going to be visibly uncomfortable enough that you get the cue. And so I think that Naima was like, I have these characters and there is going to be a constant conversation around what is and isn't allowed. And I really appreciated that because I think that, again, it's something that is really talked about when we're talking about sexual relations, 
I feel like most people are like, yeah, like, you can't just start making out with people, going down on them, fucking them, any of that without, you know, explicit and ongoing consent. But non-sexual things, touching people, hugging people, touching people, and you might be going like, well, like, if you come from a, you know, a family that is, you know, really heavy on the touchy-feely, but you encounter someone whose family does not do that at all, how do you, you know, that needs to be navigated. And I think that sometimes we don't see enough of that happening, right? I keep thinking, I've seen on Twitter and sometimes Instagram, um, parents or parenting TikToks or parenting tweets where it's like don't force children to hug you know adults who come around them because you're 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 setting the example that they have to always say yes to that kind of behavior even when they don't want to even when they feel uncomfortable right and some people are like oh like like, if the kid doesn't want to hug their aunt, their uncle, their grandma, that should be okay. And there are people who get upset about that. It's like, as adults, we can we can be like, oh, yeah, like, you might feel uncomfortable, whatever, whatever. But there's that expectation that children should just w- put up with it. Why? Why? Right? And to me, all of that stems from the same like, concept of, like, consent, Right? If you want to and you feel comfortable, then that should happen. And if you don't, you should, the person doing the action should always ask for that permission as opposed to just like, I'm going to, oh, you didn't want to be hugged. Oh, my bad. I'm going to worry. Girl, what? Girl, what? What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? So this book to me, I felt like really sort of illustrated that concept. Um, often enough and I really 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 appreciated I was like yes give me more of that Um, so yeah I really I really enjoyed the book I'm trying to think of what else I could talk about that's like not spoiler 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 I guess oh one other thing that also I really enjoyed, um, so when I did the podcast episode with Kelly from Boobies and Newbies, right, um, one of the things that kind of aggravated both of us on different levels um, was the way in which um, the small town was kind of portrayed in the sense that it was like, oh, you know, you, you need to go get away from the big city because the big city is awful. So we had read Christmas in Full Bloom and the main characters in that, like, um, the heroine goes back to her hometown um, from Chicago and all just all of this, like, and it felt very like the, the big bad city or just the big city, and, like, why would you want to be there when the small town is perfect, and the small town has all these things, and, and, you know, vomit, 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 and we were both kind of, like, this is frustrating, because why is it that romances that are set in small towns, especially during Christmas, make it seem like the city is just a soulless, awful, 
terrible place and the small town is like the perfect goddamn utopia when like love with the what and what I think Naima Simone was able to do really really well was showcase Roseband as this small town with all these wonderful activities but with also the reality of not everyone who's in the same tax bracket not everyone can afford everything you know there are people who are in need and the town is going to work hard to meet those needs right uh not everything is absolutely wonderful perfect all the time and that is okay because that's not realistic Rosebend felt Rosebend felt like a small town that was aware that it was a small town if you get what I'm saying like it just I didn't ever get the feeling that Rosebend saw itself as like this perfect place with nothing ever wrong because it was just magic it was like, we are a small town and there are a lot of really great things about this small town and living in it. That doesn't mean that we can't strive to be better. That doesn't mean that there are places where we got to work harder because we aren't meeting the needs of certain people in this same small town. And that was something that I really appreciated. And the characters that lived in that small town, like there were people who had left and gone to the big city and come back. And it was, at least in this book, it didn't feel like, oh, finally they they smartened up and moved back or they were stupid to have ever left. It was very clear that for some people, Rosebend will always be home, but they need to go and find, you know, their their place out there in the world. For other people, leaving Rosebend is just not in the cards for them and that is okay. Like, it didn't ever feel like, you stayed in Rosebend, you were stupid, or if you left Rosebend, you were stupid. Like, there wasn't that back and forth, like, oh, you left and you a dummy, or oh, you stayed and you're a dummy, which sometimes I feel like small town romance has that, like, oh, like, you left and came back, or oh, you never left, you are backwards. Like, there wasn't any of that, um, which I really, really appreciate, because I think that that sometimes is what, like, bugs me about small town romance, and especially Christmas romance where it's like okay they came back to the town and oh my god and I think also what was interesting is Nessa um is not from Rosebend right she is not actually Wolf is from Rosebend Nessa's from Boston so this isn't her returning after failing in the big city none of that crap she's a guest in the town and then you know shit happens um, so I was like, oh, okay, I like this. I like this very, very much. Okay, I think that's all I can talk about without, like, hella spoiling it. So I'm gonna pause here, and then when I come back, I'm gonna just go, like, spoil, spoil, spoil crazy. Um, and I'm also going to be spoiling the novella because it's so short that I don't think I could talk about it without spoiling it. So I don't want to, like, do that now. I'll do that then. Um, so in case you're like, eee! spoilers no uh you'll be able to skip that part okay i'll be back (laughs) 
Okay, okay, it's time for spoilers. And this is going to be spoilers of Christmas in Rosebend, along with A Kiss to Remember, the Rosebend novella. And some of you might be going, yeah, kind of spoiled how Rancher's Christmas Storm. And, sorry, uh, was it really, I mean, I don't think I did, but in case you felt like I did, it was not my intention. I am so sorry. I just, it happens, okay? So anyway, Christmas in Rosebend. Naima Simone, as I had already mentioned, are two main characters, Nessa Hunt and Wolf Dennison. Okay, so for me, I thought I really liked the reasoning, like the background on each of their names, right? He was like, Nessa, is that short for something? And she was like, no, my mom really loves Loch Ness monsters, so Ness, Nessa. And he was like, I'm going to call you Nessie. And guys, this is my name. My nickname is Essie. I was like, I like it. It's so cute. Yes. And she was kind of like, okay. Like, I thought that was really sweet. And Wolf isn't named after the animal. He's named after, what's his name? Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Like, actually Mozart. uh, Which I thought was also really cool. Um, Wolf and his siblings are all essentially named after, like, musicians. And he was like, mine's not that bad. Like, there's a Sonny and a Cher um, in his family. Yes, yes. Um, so I was like, oh, I liked sort of the brief backstory of that. Like, I don't know. They could have just had a very generic. They had unique names without them being so unique that you're like, what the fuck is this? Why is her name, you know? It wasn't Elon Musk, BB, Boop, Boop, you know, M Dash. Like, it wasn't that. Um, so I appreciated that. Like, I appreciated that it was just, like, you know, a generic regular name, but it also wasn't so weirdly unique that you were like, what the fuck? What the fuck is your name? Um, and, like, the little stories behind it I thought were cute. Now, this story really begins. Nessa arrives in Rosebend with her half-sister Ivy, right? So Nessa and Ivy share quote-unquote the same father but it it's very clear early on that they don't actually share the same father because when Nessa finds out on her mother's deathbed um her mother explains to her that her biological father was never the man she thought was her father Isaac Hunt and he is the father of Ivy Hunt uh Isaac Ivy anyway um and Ivy's like a teenager uh preteen I think she's 12 or 12 um Nessa's 28 and I think Wolf is 31 right so Nessa and her half-sister show up in this town because it was like the last thing that Isaac wanted um for them to do together and it's so what I thought was really interesting you have these two characters right uh and Ivy's mom who wasn't Nessa's mom they had different moms has also passed so these two characters Nessa and Ivy literally have no parents they both lost their mothers and they both lost their father except Nessa's like oh I don't even know who that man is because my mother decided to tell me that she's been lying to me my whole life oh my god so there's so much there are so many emotions already that they're having to deal with right the grief the anger like just so much and Nessa doesn't want to say anything to Ivy because she's worried that Ivy already hates her and if she finds out she's not really Ivy's like blood sister she'll want nothing to do with her and she has no family left and she's just like you know 
she can't have that. So she doesn't want to be honest with this preteen. Um, she's dealing with the fact that at her job in Boston as an ER nurse, she had a panic attack on the job and is like, is thinking that not only does she not who know who she is because she, you know, the man she thought was her father was never her father, but now she's worried that like maybe she can't even be a nurse, which it's, you know, whammy on top of whammy. You've lost your mom. You thought you had lost your dad, but he's not your dad. And I, you know, just so much is rolled up in these, just these two characters. Um, I will say, I felt like this book had a lot of characters, but I also felt like it made sense for the story. Sometimes I read books, um, like, for example, Ranger or Christmas Storm, whatever, where I was like, there are a lot of people being talked about, and I don't really understand why, and, like, they've been brought up, and okay, but they didn't seem to serve a purpose. I just, I don't think that was the case in this book. I think, um, Wolf is one of, I think, six or eight siblings. Like, you know, he's got adopted siblings, but it's a ton of, you know, his family's a large family. He has both of his parents. He has his own issues in this, you know, within this town, which I think that's one of the things that I was like, okay, this small town isn't pretending to be this magical utopia. Uh, it's very clear that like real world problems and, you know, real life happens here, right? So we've got, we're meeting different people from the town. We're meeting his siblings, right? Within the book, we meet Wolf's parents. We meet his brothers, his sisters. Um, we meet his best friend's mom. We meet, you know, his ex who has just come back to town, his ex's best friend who is awful. Now, I will say this. In some books, right, um, you get the other woman and she's just hot garbage. Um, Diana Palmer, who I read so much of um, as a younger reader, almost always made the other woman be absolutely irredeemable like you hated that bitch you were just like this hoe this motherfucker what the fuck always and to the point that like when I go back and I sometimes I I don't think I've reread a Diana Palmer at least three or four years but when I had gone back and reread some I was like god damn like I know that there are shitty women out there but this is kind of pushing it lady um so what I really like is that Naima's like okay We've got Olivia and Jenna, right? Olivia's the ex, Jenna's the friend. Jenna is pretty awful throughout the book. There is an explanation kind of given to us from Olivia, and I feel like it is possible that in a future book, we may really get to understand why Jenna is the way that she is. But Olivia is, you know, this woman who broke Wolf's heart, but it becomes very clear, right, to both us, the reader, and Nessa, the character, that Olivia didn't break his heart because she was a shitty human. Olivia broke his heart because she was stuck in a really tough place of having to choose between her love for him and her love for herself and what she believed she needed at the time. So it isn't that she purposely was like, fuck this, fuck this man, fuck this town, fuck all you, you know, small town podunky people it was I don't believe I can be happy here and if I stay I will grow to resent this amazing man so I have to go and I hope he'll go with me and of course he didn't because he was like oh girl now like this is my town I'm not trying to go to no city and she was like ah shit 
right? So it's really interesting because as a reader, I felt like, like Nessa, it's like I wanted to dislike Olivia because like this hoe, this hoe was back. But this hoe didn't come back like, I'm going to come and, you know, like she is a character that is like, I was in love with this man and I broke his heart because I thought I was making the right decision for me. I had, and maybe she did need to leave Rosebend to really understand why she needed to be in Rosebend. Because sometimes we do have to leave a place, a situation, etc., to really understand what it is about that that we need or needed, etc., etc., etc. And then she comes back and is, but she isn't like this like awful snarky. She's a nice, kind person. It's just their story didn't work out for a reason, right? Um, and so I appreciated that, right? I really appreciate that. Like, because it could have been like, we have all these characters going on and like everything gets lost in the sauce kind of thing. But I didn't feel that way. I felt like every character we encountered in some way informed and or helped propel Nessa and Wolf's journey to each other, but also to deal with the issues that they both had, the baggage that they both had. Because I think that's also maybe something I really appreciated about this book. These two characters were not people who had lived these, like, magical, wonderful, you know, perfect lives. I also don't think that they were necessarily completely tortured individuals no right they had both had loving parents in wolf's case he has his parents right he has his parents he has his siblings he's living in a small town but he doesn't have his best friend right he goes to war with his he signs up for the military you know young people do that nonsense signs up for the military ends up in iraq or no i think it was afghanistan and ends up coming home without his best friend, right? He comes back with, you know, a reconstructed knee and his best friend never comes back. And he, you know, his best friend who was an only child, right? It's one of those things of like, I'm coming back. Not to say like, it. he's coming back knowing that he, you know, he felt like he didn't protect his best friend. So Wolf was really focused on like, having failed both his best friend and the woman that he had loved who, you know, walks away from him and everything that he could possibly offer. On the other hand, we have Nessa, whose ex, like, left her for a job, which I, okay, I was like, oh, because I think sometimes um, I read romances where the heroine, you know, is really closed off, really guarded because her man left her and it's for another woman. I was like, oh, I actually kind of appreciated that he wasn't like some cheating whore dog, right? Um, that he actually left her for a job. Of course, this is awful and this is shitty, but it isn't like, oh, well, you know, uh, I couldn't keep it in my pants. And so therefore, oops, it's more like, I know that this isn't working and this is an opportunity for me. And I'm, it's still awful, but I did appreciate that it wasn't like oh and then I picked another woman now what I thought was interesting is that Nessa at one point has this like I think she mentions like he didn't even leave me for another woman he left me for a job um which is almost like wow like I don't even 
Um, but I, reading it, kind of appreciated that more so. Um, because it, to me, it's like, I guess it's like, eh. Instead of just being like, well, I couldn't figure out how to break it off with you, so I just started off with somebody new. It's like, I'm leaving, and no, I'm not asking you to come with me, and da 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 um, And so then on top of that, she also had, like, her, 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 the man she thought, who, so the thing is, the man she thought who was her father, Isaac Hunt, he, he divorced her mom when she was, like, 12? Was she 12 or was she 16? She might have been 16, because I think, uh, or she might have been, no, I think she was 12, um, and so then, and he ends up, like, realizing that he, you know, failed her in that relationship, like, he leaves her a letter that she reads and all this, so we've got all of this, you know, right? She's trying to figure out if she can even connect with her sister, who isn't her blood sister, and all of this, and she's so worried. And then there's Wolf, and of course, it's like, she's only in town in Rosebend because this was, like, Isaac's last wish for the two sisters to go to Rosebend. They live in Boston. Like, this isn't. Like, they're literally on vacation. So, of course, it's like, why would you get involved with anybody on vacation so we're you know it's going to be temporary which you know it's a romance it's like mm -hmm, okay girl um and then of course uh what i what i really appreciated was the way in which we then learn how rosebend was an important place for both nessa's mother and ivy's father right uh Ivy's parents, so her father Isaac and Ivy's mother, who has also passed, had come to Rosebend when Ivy was about three. Like they'd come with the baby and had a wonderful magical time, and I think had stayed in the same inn that they're staying in. Right, so first one, that's one of the things we first learned. So it's like, oh wow, he had come there, and of course Nessa originally is thinking, oh, so this isn't even about me and her. It, he just wants his daughter his real daughter, to experience this wonderful time, and that's it, right, it isn't until she gets a letter from his lawyer, and it's like, oh, I wanted you specifically to get this letter once I had passed, that he is like, I knew you weren't my daughter, but I didn't want your mother to tell you the truth, because I wanted to, you know, that was my place, and she's kind of like, wait, what, like, because when we first started the book, Nessa's under the assumption that her mother knew the truth, but nobody else did. And now everybody who was involved is dead and she has to deal with it. So then he, she gets his letter and I was like, wait, so you knew too? Wait, you, what, what? Um, and so then it's like, how do I figure out? Oh no, so then she reaches out to her mom's best friend to like basically go to the house and send to her in Rosebend, this pat box from Boston. And at first she thinks it's lost because Ivy finds it and hides it because Ivy thinks that it's work-related. Anyway, they go through an old album, and then it turns out, like, Evelyn, Nessa's mom, was also in Rosebend, which I thought was really interesting. It, it isn't really talked or mentioned, but I was like, what are the chances that Isaac goes with his, like, second wife and child to the same town that Evelyn? Like, where would he have heard of Rosebend? I mean, it's only, like, three hours outside of Boston, so whatever. But I was just like, hmm. 
I wonder if oh and I think in the letter he mentions that like Evelyn met him in Rosebend or no I think he just mentions the name and then of course when they see the pictures no I think the pictures come after she finds out about the name yes because she doesn't ask for the box until after she's read his letter so anyway long story short she does find her dad he's alive and well um in Rosebend um so when we get to the end of the book, we obviously have the happily ever after with Wolf and Nessa. Um, we don't find out until, I want to say pretty close to the end, that Ivy actually always knew because she had overheard her dad talking about the fact that Nessa wasn't his biological daughter. And she had never wanted to say anything because like Nessa, she, she believed that if Nessa knew the truth, she wouldn't want to have anything to do with her. So both of these two characters are like, this is the last family I have left. And if I tell them that we're not blood related, it's over. And then it's like the realization of like, no, it's not over because it isn't just about blood, right? Um, so when we, you know, we've got the, we've got this amazing like romantic relationship between Wolf and Nessa. We've got this sister, you know, this sisterhood bond that is now going to, I, I feel like only grow stronger between Nessa and Ivy then Ivy's biological father, who, you know, never goes on to have any other kids, is like, I want to be in your life, and Ivy's, and that's cool with both of you, so they will have, like, a father figure, along with Wolf's parents, all of Wolf's siblings, um, and I was just like, oh, I really, really like this, right, and, you know, like, I briefly, I briefly felt bad for Olivia, like, very briefly, because she she also did something that I was like, oh, girl. She did something that, like, was a, there was, like I had mentioned earlier, there was so much constant checking in in terms of, like, consent for all things. And then Olivia, like, um, oh, we're in the spoiler section. I can say this. Olivia kisses him, um, thinking that maybe, and it's like, did, did, did you even ask, though? Uh, which I was like, you, you you dirty, dirty, awful woman, um, I mean, she's not awful, but, like, I was like, oh, girl, really, stop it, um, and I wonder if in future books in this series, we'll either see Olivia get her happily ever after, whether it's on the, like, whether she's a main character, or she ends up being, like, a secondary character that, like, figures her shit out, I don't know, um, I didn't hate her, so I wouldn't have a problem with that, but I just was, like, reading this book um it was like wow I think also something that I really enjoyed there were references to you know pop culture which some might say well if you read this book in like 15 years it'll be a little dated right there's a mention of like the tv show this is us uh I feel like there were a few more but I'm blanking on them but at the same time I feel like that also sometimes can really ground a work um and it is okay if the pop culture references that obviously make sense to me now might not make full sense to someone later. Because I think that there was just, because they stuck out to me, because there were a few that I was like, damn, okay. But I appreciated them because it really sort of grounded it in, like, this is a, a contemporary book of today. And I think 
for anyone of today's generation reading it in the future, it'll bring them to this time period. Of course, for people 25 years from now reading it, what can possibly happen, though, is that some of these references might spark memories of their aunts or uncles or grandparents speaking of these these little, little things, right? Like, oh, you know, my mom loved the show This Is Us and, like, made us watch it even when it was off the air. You know what I mean? So, um, and it's, uh, Going back to the whole sort of race thing, there were there was enough, con- there was enough that happened. Whether it was descriptions of the characters or just how they talked and interacted, that it was like, oh, it is clear that some of these people are black people, and it isn't just on. I mean, the cover for this book has no people. It's like, I think, just a town scene. Um, if I remember correctly, so there isn't, you don't, you can't look at the cover yet, it's like, looks, oh, I'm guessing it's the inn, and it's all lit up for Christmas, and those Christmas lights, and, um, are those tire prints in the snow? I think it's tire prints, I'm like, I can't really tell, um, (laughs) I'm looking at the, like, the smallest picture possible, which I'm like, maybe if I look at the actual cover, um, let me go to, yeah, it's like, trees, what looks like uh, a big house, which is the inn, Christmas lights, Christmas trees, decorated, lots of small lanterns, and oh no, I think those are footprints? Two sets, oh, two sets of footprints for the two of them. Oh, cute. Ooh, on the um, the little blurb uh, uh, above USA Today, best-selling author name is Simone says, Simone balances crackling electric love scenes with exquisitely exquisitely rendered characters. And yes, I think the characters were really full, full fleshed. Um, and again, not just our main characters, right? Um, Ivy, Wolf's parents, Wolf's siblings. Um, the f- character from the first book, the characters, the couple from the first book, which is Wolf's brother and um the woman in her name sydney she actually returns to rose bend after having lived um elsewhere like we get to see them and we just get to see so many different characters but again all of it makes sense for the story now for um the novella now, what I thought was interesting, so the novella, which is, uh, uh, what is it called? I already forgot the name. A Kiss to Remember. It's set in Rosebend. And when I first started reading it, you know, like, the the two characters, uh, the names are, uh, where is it? Ooh, I'm looking at the wrong page. We've got Remy Donovan is our heroine. She's a town librarian. And Declan Howard, who's a businessman from Boston, who is in town often and has a lot of house because his mom has moved to Rosebend. And so he has his own house. So when he's visiting, he has his like own space. And so I start reading and I was like, I don't remember either one of these two characters being mentioned in the other book. And so then as I kept reading, I was like, I don't think we do meet them in the book we just read. But because we've spent enough time in the town of Rosebend, right? In the previous book, 
I feel like we didn't need as much in we I personally didn't feel like I needed as much detail about certain things about Rosebud to understand because I literally like I was in this world we had just shifted and it's a different time period because it's not around Christmas um I think it's warm at the time um there's Halloween involved so maybe it's like late September because he helps her with a Halloween um event at the library um and so and I think in the library app, there is, you can get that same story as like an ebook, or like on its own. And that, um, brain, brain details, that cover, that cover, I think does have a couple on it. Let me go look. Rose Band series. I'm almost positive. Um, yes, A Kiss to Remember does have a couple on the cover. My only, like, gripe about that, in the book, uh, in the book, Remy is a plus-size heroine, and, um, this is not a plus-size character on the cover. Uh, she's a lovely lady, bright hair colored, but not quite, not quite correct, um, in terms of a body type, which, mm, you know, not totally surprised because, uh, this is the bullshit that we uh, have to deal with uh, when it comes to uh, colors, uh, boo-boo. Um, yeah, like, homegirl looks regular, regular. But if I recall correctly, she's either 16 or 18 in the book. So I was like, mm, okay, so we kind of failed there a little. Oh, yeah, and there's, like, it's fall. There's leaves on the ground. There's, you know, the reds and the oranges and the yellows. So it's, 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 it is fall. Oh, there's a, there's an illustrated cover that I, okay, in the illustrated cover, I think they were going for plus size, but it just looks like she's bloated in her gut. <sighs> anyway, um, oh yeah, they, I think the novellas in this have illustrated covers because Slow Dance at Rose Bend, I think, is in. Is that one a novella or is it a full novel? Let me see. I think Slow Dance at Rose Bend is. Oh, it is a novella. So the novellas, for some reason, have illustrated covers, or at least that's what I'm finding on Google. And. But I'm not a big fan of illustrated covers in general, so it is what it is. Um, but so Remy and Declan, we kind of get fake dating. He's trying to get his mother's neighbor's daughter off his back. Basically, he went on a few. He was like, they're not dates. And she was like, you've described dates. And he was like, okay, but I told her it wasn't going to go nowhere. And I'm like, mm, that was your mistake. So his mother's neighbor's daughter is all like refusing to understand that he doesn't want anything to do with her or not that he doesn't want anything to do with her. He's not interested in a relationship because Declan is very like, I'm a businessman. All I do is, you know, casual. Um, he's also divorced and his divorce comes from the fact that he had married a woman he loved their careers. They were both in the finance world. Um, didn't 
progress at the same pace. He basically, from what we get, is was like a shooting star kind of trajectory. Hers was not. And she becomes so angry and bitter that she ends up sabotaging him and in different ways. And that level of betrayal is... And it, I mean, I cannot imagine what it must be like to be in love with someone. And they are so angry and bitter at the fact that their career is not advancing at the same pace as yours or the pace that they believed that they go to the point of sabotaging you trying to sabotage your career i think she also sleeps with his co-workers so the, the whole nine yards right so of course that um ends in divorce and implodes and so he's very like i'm never doing love absolutely not and like his dad was abusive not physically emotionally so he's just like yeah love is, is a no-no and um, so he's all like so what's interesting is like he shows up at the library it's page one of he's like asking Remy like please like does he say can I kiss you or um can you kiss me something along those lines she's looking at him like skirt skirt what sir like what is happening here what is wrong with you and he's just kind of looking at her like and she's always you know he goes excuse me can I kiss you which I do appreciate that he asked because I can think of other books that I've read where the male character, the male main character is trying to get, you know, another woman off his, like, off his tail and just, like, grabs, you know, some other woman and starts making out with her and then it's, like, we are together. Like, Declan's like, I'm going to ask and not be crazy and, or, I mean, be crazy, but at least ask before I do what I do. So what I thought was interesting, right, um, which I almost wish that this had been a longer book because Remy's mother is one of those mothers who's so focused on their child needing to be partnered with someone to be successful and to be, to look and be a certain way to then be partnered, right? And so it's very clear as you're reading that Remy's mother whether purposely or not purposely, right, undermines and undercuts her daughter's confidence and self-esteem because she's too focused, whether consciously or subconsciously, on the fact that her daughter is a, a bigger woman and she can't, you know, we, like, there is a confrontation and I thought it was really well done. It wasn't like a screaming match. Remy was like, I need you to stop doing this. Or I'm not going to be able to be around you. I love you, but I won't be able to do this. Because I love myself. And I don't deserve this kind of treatment. And the mother is very like, wait, what? Like, And what I thought was interesting, Remy has um, two other sisters, an older and a younger sister. And all three sisters, I think, are very clear and aware of that their mother is kind of... Mm. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay. But I also am thinking like, it's really hard to have those conversations with your parents of like you are causing me pain and hurt. And I understand now as an adult that you think that you're, you know, being helpful, but in fact, you're being hurtful. In fact, you are causing me added stress, added emotional pain. Um, those are hard conversations to have. So I appreciated that it happens within the context of the book um, on the page. But I would have liked, I mean, I would have been fine with this being a full-length book. 
I enjoyed that it was a novella, but I could see where it could have been a whole book. Maybe not even someone that's like, girl, no. That's all it could have been, which is why that's all you got. But I'm just saying um, that my greedy self would have been fine with a full-length book of these two. Because I really liked Remy and Declan, right? Um, And I liked that, again, he, like, he does the whole, I don't think this can work. Um, because I, you know, don't want to, and she's like, okay, well, I love you, and, uh, you can't be here if, you know, you're not going to even try, and he doesn't, it doesn't take him long to figure it out, again, it's a novella, he goes, he talks to his mother, figures it out, and then is like, I was being dumb. And I understand I was being dumb, but I know that I also love you and like whatever. And I was like, oh. Um, so yeah, I I really liked Rose Bend. Um, I think that the small town aspect of it, right, obviously helped to, you know, create some of the scenarios, right? And, you know, the Christmas book, like all of the all of the events happening in this town, whatever, that Wolf and Nessa participate in together, and in the novella, the fact that, like, you know, um, through the town grapevine, everyone knows about um, Remy and Declan almost immediately. So there was that, which I think helped with the story, but I I still really, really appreciate that. the characters weren't, like, though, the characters who were from the small town, the characters who came into the small town, there wasn't this weird, like, city life is better, small town life is better, it was just, like, our lives change, and we have to adapt to that, um, all because back to going to Christmas in Roseman, like, Nessa and Ivy do end up moving, right, um, and so when, I did the podcast with Kelly, uh, Boobies and Newbies podcast, and we were both kind of like, so why does she have to move, right, kind of thing. Now, what I thought was interesting when I was reading Christmas in Rosebend, it was always very clear from the beginning, Wolf is never leaving Rosebend. Like, that is his home. That is where his business is. That is where his family is. He helps with the writing of the inn. Like, there is, you know, it would be a lot harder for him to fully uproot his life right, he's got a teenager he mentors who was, like, on, you know, the fast track to, like, jail or whatever, um, but you might be thinking, but Nessa and Ivy, like, those are two characters, they have to uproot their lives, but here's the thing, what's left for them in Boston, they don't have any family in Boston, um, Ivy talks briefly about people treating her differently at school because her father, because both her parents are dead, right, her mother dies first, I believe, I think both of her parents, both of the parents die of cancer? Do all three of the parental characters die of cancer? I think so. So Ivy's 12 and doesn't have a mother or father and is already being treated weirdly at school. Like, some people think she's contagious. Some people are just, like, you know, mean. Nessa, you know, already enjoys nursing. But again, being an ER nurse is so demanding. It's so much work. that She's now a guardian to a preteen. And so, the clinic in town, 
right? There's there's a whole moment where she pitches in because uh, they're they're short nurses because someone's on mat leave and someone called in sick. Was it called in sick or had some sort of issue? Something like that. So of course, for story reasons, the person who called the the nurse that went on mat leave is like, I'm gonna stay home with my kid. So of course they were like, we would love to have you. Um, and also with her biological father who wants to have a relationship with her being in Rose Ben, what better way to grow and expand her found family than to move to Rose Ben? Um, reading that, I didn't feel like Nessa and Ivy had given up their life in the city to go to Rose Ben and were sacrificing. It felt like this would be the best way for them to be a wonderful, loving family that they wouldn't have if they were to return to Boston or if they were to somehow convince Wolf to come with them. Because I think that for both of them, having only each other, being able to join, you know, Wolf's family, which is, like, huge, and then um, Nessa's... um, biological father whose name is Garrett having all of that would enrich their lives so much that there's no reason to not stay and in the case of the novella Declan's like a high-powered businessman his mother lives in Brisbane which is why he had a home there but once he realizes like his feelings for Remy it's like he realizes that he can work out of of Rosebud, he doesn't have he he'll have to go into Boston for certain meetings. That's only a three you know three hour drive, which yes, that is six hours round trip. But if you're only doing it a few times a year or a few you know once a month, um, he can then be have his relationship in his life with Remy, who's the town librarian, right? It isn't a question of like I'm the high powered businessman. You have to move to me, which I personally always think when I'm reading romance like I find that annoying when it's like well maybe like whoever is really really mad rich you can go anywhere right you can actually move anywhere because you got the money the other person if they're not equally as rich as you yeah they're gonna be giving up stuff so maybe don't make them give up stuff because you got money you can live anywhere you know what I mean like you can set up a helicopter pad I mean go but you can, you know what I mean? So I was like, oh, yay, I appreciate it. And again, it wasn't like Remy was like, Boston's disgusting. Why would you want to live there? It was like, we want, Declan has two reasons to be in Rosebud. Remy, the woman he loves, and his mother, right? So it's like, this is not a, this is not a lose situation for him. This is a win, right? Because he gets to have, you know, his family, right right there and her family is there so I was like oh I like it so basically I say all of this to say um I really 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 enjoyed Naima Simone's Christmas uh book and the additional novella um and I think uh the next book in the series comes out April of this year and it is one of Wolf's sister's I'm curious. I'm going to look up Goodreads, what it's about. But based on this one, I think I might just like be ready to read it because I really enjoyed this one.
Okay, um, I've been talking for a lot, so I'm going to pause here, and gratitude, attitude, and then, you know, done so. Okay, I'll be right back. Okie dokie, so it's time for gratitude, attitude, gratitude, attitude. Uh, so, the things that I'm grateful for this week, three of them. Uh, so, I was lucky enough to be able to go home to see my parents for about two weeks in January. Um, I hadn't been able to go home for the holidays, which was a bummer. They hadn't been able to come here, but I was able to, since my job is still remote, at least for now, I was like, you know what? I can book a flight and work from there, and I can then see them every day, um, at least for while I'm there. And that was wonderful. It was really, really nice. To be able to, you know, like I would work and then I would, you know, take my lunch break with like, you know, my parents and we would like, you know, eat lunch together, breakfast together, dinner, like, um, and I could help them out with stuff like, you know, getting a new TV and, uh, setting up some new desk chairs for them because desk chairs have wheels, which are easy to move around when you are older. Um, so I really, really... I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity that I didn't have COVID so I could fly, that I was able to, you know, work remotely. Um, I'm just really grateful that all the things that needed to happen so that that trip could happen, happened. Yay to saying the word happened a lot. (laughs) Um, The second thing that I'm grateful for Okay, this is going to sound kind of ridiculous, y'all, but um, because Toronto was so, so, so cold when I was home, like, if you understand Celsius, I think it was the weekend right before MLK Day, uh, it was like negative 34, yeah, yeah, in Celsius, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, guys, sorry don't believe in that, it was brutally cold, um, and then there was, like, MLK Day, it snowed, I think, almost 24 inches or some ridiculousness, and it took forever for them to plow and whatever, streetcars got stuck, like, I was so thankful to not have to be outside, um, but that's not what I'm really, really grateful for, I'm really grateful for that, because now that I'm back in New York, um, everything feels not that cold, and so people are, like, in full parkas and everything, and I'm just like, hey, girl, it's only minus six, and people are looking at me like, girl, what? It's freezing, which, true, but also relative, right? I just came from, like, minus 30s, minus 20s, so minus six, <laughs> plus one, <laughs> feels like I mean, that spring, I'm outside in t-shirt and shorts and, and, and flip-flops. I am, I, I don't do that. Um, but I am outside in, like, a thick hoodie, a vest, a scarf, a beanie, and that's it. Like, you're like, you're not wearing a winter coat? I'm like, I don't really need one. And they're like, it's just freezing. And I'm like, I mean, for you? But not really for me? Like, I see people in Canada goose coats, and I'm like, uh, how are they not sweating? I'm in a, a North Face West and I'm hot. I don't even have a zip up. 
but again, I think it's because my body, like, like we just recently experienced brutally cold temps. So this feels balmy in comparison. And I appreciate that. I really do. And the third thing that I am grateful for. Um, <laughs> so when I was home, my mom had this duffel bag that had, like, some of, uh, my old stuffed animals, and there was a Mrs. Pear that, like, I, I feel like I got this stuffed animal probably when I was, like, six or seven, I don't know, like, I, I remember always having it, she's got, like, white gloves on, like, she's a debutante, she's got silver, or not silver, bluish satin slippers, and a floppy pink hat, and it was just really nice to have this, like, stuffed animal bag. I think that, you know, you get older, you're an adult, and you're like, who needs stuffed animals? I'm an adult. Fuck that shit. I like my stuffed animal. It was just really, really cool to be able to, like, have my stuffed animal again. Um, So I really, I really appreciate that, like, Literally, she's on my bed with me, like I'm seven again. Um, my inner child approved. My inner child approved. Um, so yeah, those are the things that I'm grateful for this week. Um, oh, I guess I should also be grateful for this Naima Simone book that got me out of my reading slump. <laughs> I'm gonna. Pro- I, I, I had to say it again. Sorry, everyone, but I had to. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, for, you know, putting up with my shenanigans. Um, let me know what books you've read recently that you were hooked, like, page one or chapter one, and just, like, they just hooked you and grabbed you and, you know, ended up being absolutely worth it. And, I mean, if something hooked you in chapter one and then bombed also let me know because that sucks and I feel bad and I want to give you like a virtual um hug if you would like one because that 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 has happened to me where I get sucked in and then I keep reading and then I'm like what the fuck this is eh. Eh. um so yeah let me know uh, in the twitterverse uh in the instagrams in the DMs of either, it don't matter. Um, hit me up. Anyway, thank you again so much for listening. Have a wonderful, fantastic week. Stay warm, stay hydrated. Uh, the sun is starting to set later and later every day. So, you know, I think I saw somewhere it's like 39 or 38 days until the sun will start setting at 7 p.m. So we're almost there, guys. We're almost there. Now, uh, before we know it, I'll be spring slash summer. And, oh, I cannot wait. Cannot wait. Uh, take care, and until next time, bye!